Section 13 of The Pastor's Wife by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section 13. Chapter 29. In Redchester, nobody talked of kisses. They were things not mentioned. They were things allowable only under strictly defined conditions. If you did not want to kiss, for instance, and the other person did not like it, and confined in their application to the related. Like pews in a parish church, they were reserved for families. Aunts might kiss, freely, especially if they were bearded. Ingeborg had an aunt with a beard. Mothers might kiss. She had seen her calm mother kiss a newborn baby with a sort of devouring, a cannibalism. Bishops might kiss within a certain restricted area. As for husbands, they did kiss, and nothing stopped them till the day when they suddenly didn't. But no one, aunts, mothers, bishops, or husbands, regarded the practice as a suitable basis for conversation. How refreshing, therefore, and how altogether delightful it was that Ingram should be so natural, and how she loved to know that though of course he was pretending about the little kisses in her eyes he thought it worth while to pretend with glee and pride and amusement she wondered what register would say if it could hear the great man it too honoured being so simple and at the same time so very kind for the first time she did not answer back she was silent thinking amused and pleasant thoughts and ingram walking beside her with his hands in his pockets and a gayness about his heels felt triumphant for he had he thought got through to her self-consciousness he had got her quiet at last not that he did not enjoy the incense she burned before him the unabashed expression of her admiration but a man wants room for his love-making, and once he is embarked on that pleasant exercise, he does not want the words taken out of his mouth. Ingeborg was always taking the words out of his mouth, and then flinging them back at him again, with, as it were, a flower stuck behind his ear. He had known that if once he could pierce through to her self-consciousness she would leave off doing this she would become aware that he was a man and she was a woman she would become passive she would let go of persisting that he was a demigod and she a sort of humble pew-opener or its equivalent in his temple now apparently he had pierced through and her silence as she walked beside him with her eyes on the ground was more sweet to him than anything she had ever said before however they had reached the gap in the lilac hedge that formed the simple entrance on that side to the dremel garden there she was beginning again in redchester she began oh he interrupted are you going to give me a description of the town and its environs so as to keep me from giving you a description of yourself no she laughed you know i could listen to you forever the same frankness the same shining look ingram wanted to kick i was thinking she went on how nobody in redchester ever talked about kisses even little ones so you are shocked no what a word i'm full of wonder at the miracle of you you being so kind to me me saying such beautiful things thinking such beautiful things this trick of gratitude was really maddening tell me about redchester he said shortly don't they kiss each other there oh yes but they don't have them in their eyes he shuddered and people don't mention them unless it's aunts and they're not like that no aunt could ever possibly be of the pregnant parts needful for the invention of a phrase like that and if she were i don't suppose i'd want to listen you do at least then want to listen want to aren't i listening always to every word you say with both my ears what a mercy she added with thankfulness what a real mercy what an escape that you are not an aunt 
"'You can't call it exactly a hairbreadth escape,' he said moodily. "'I don't feel even the rough beginnings of an ant anywhere about me.' He walked with her through the darkness of the lime-tree avenue, refusing to stay to supper. Why could he not then and there, in that solitary dark place, catch her in his arms and force her to wake up to leave off being a choir-boy, a pew-opener, or shake her, one or the other? At that moment he did not much care which, but he could not. He told himself that why he could not was because she would be so limitlessly surprised, and that for all her surprise he would be no nearer, not an inch nearer, to whatever it was in her he was now so eager to reach. She might even, indeed he felt certain she would, thank him profusely for such a further mark of esteem for being, as she would say, so very kind. "'Are you tired?' she asked, peering up at his face in the scented gloom, for it was the time of the flowering of the lime-trees, on his suddenly stopping and saying good-night. "'No. You're feeling quite well?' "'Perfectly, then,' she said. "'Why go away? I'm in slack water. I have no talk. I'd bore you. Good-night.' The next day— Having found the morning quite intolerably long, he approached her directly. They were alone on the difficult subject of husbands. "'It's no good, Ingeborg,' he said. "'Yes, I'm going to call you Ingeborg. "'We're fellow pilgrims, you and I, along this rocky ridiculousness called life, and we'll soon be dead. And so, my dear, let us be friends for just this little while.' "'Oh, but of course, of course. "'It's no good, you know, "'barring certain very obvious subjects, "'because of that idiotic prepossession "'one has for what is known as good taste. "'The only really living thing is bad taste. "'All the preliminaries to real union, "'union of any sort, mind or body, "'consist in the chucking away of reticences "'and cautions and proprieties,' and each single preliminary is in bad taste. If we're going to be friends, we'll have to go in for that. Bad taste. Execrable taste. Now, he stopped. Well? She was looking at him in a kind of alarm. This was the longest speech by far he had made, and she could not imagine what was coming at the end. He was busy as usual flinging her on to paper, the number of his studies of her was by this time something monstrous, and was glancing at her swiftly and professionally at every sentence. "'About husbands. Tell me, what you think about husbands?' "'About husbands? But they're not bad taste,' she said. "'Tell me what you think about them.' "'Well, they're people one is very fond of,' she said, with her hands clasped round her knees. "'Oh!' you find that yes don't you i never had one the advantages of being a woman they're people one is fond of once and for all they rescue one from redchester they're good and kind they help one roll up great balls of common memories and all the memories grow somehow into tender things at last and they're patient even when they've found out how tiresome one is, they still go on being patient, and one loves them. And they love you? She flushed. Of course, she said. You're amusing with your of courses and once for alls. Really, you know, there are no such things. Nothing necessarily follows. I mean, not when you get to human beings. Ingeborg fidgeted. Too well did she know the dishonesty of her, of course. Too well did she remember the sudden switching off after Zopat of Robert's love. But the rest was strictly true anyhow, she thought. She did love him, dear Robert. The difference between him and an amazing friend like Ingram was, she explained to herself, that she was interested in Ingram, profoundly interested, and she was not interested in Robert. That, she supposed, was because she loved Robert. Perfect love, she said to herself, watching with 
careful attention the approach of a hairy and rather awful caterpillar across the path towards her shoes perfect love cast out a lot of things besides fear it cast out for instance conversation and interest which one couldn't very well have without conversation interest of course was an altogether second-rate feeling compared to love and because it was second-rate it was noisier expressing itself with a copiousness unnecessary when one got to the higher stages of feeling one loved one's robert and one kept quiet far the highest thing was to love but she drew her feet up quickly under her how very interesting it was being interested well he said looking at her go on well but i can't go on because i've finished there isn't any more it's a soon exhausted subject that's because it's so simple and so so dear you know where you are with husbands you mean you know you're not anywhere oh she said throwing back her head and facing him courageously how you don't realize and anyhow she added if that were true it would be a very placid and restful state to be in negation death do you find it placid and restful with me no she said quickly he put down his brushes and stared at her what a mercy he said what a mercy i was beginning to be afraid you did by the end of the third week an odd thing had happened he was no nearer piercing through her outer husk to any emotions she might possess than before but she astonishingly had pierced through his the outer husk of ingram at this time and for some years previously was a desire at all costs to dodge boredom to get tight hold of anything that promised to excite him squeeze it with diligence till the last drop of entertainment had been extracted and then let it go again considerably crumpled it was the kind of husk that causes divergences of opinion with one's wife and behind it sat wrapped in flame the thing that was with him untouchably first his work he did not know how or why but in that third week ingeborg got through this husk and became mixed up in a curious inextricable way with the flaming holy thing inside high above immeasurably above any interest he had ever felt in women was his work the diverse love-makings with which his past bristled as an ancient churchyard bristles with battered tombstones had all been conducted as it were on his doorstep he came out to the lady the lady destined so soon to be a tombstone often with passion sometimes with illusions and always with immense good will to believe that here was the real thing at last but she never came in she might and did catch cold there for anything he cared she could never cross the threshold and start interfering delaying coming between in the end she got left out there alone along with the scraper feeling chilly and here was ingeborg through the door and not interfering not delaying but positively furthering the increasing beauty of his studies of her first made him suspect it their beauty began to surprise him to take him unawares as though it were a thing outside and apart from his own will he had found so few things in humanity that seemed beautiful and his pictures had been pictures of resentments impish and wonderful exposures by a master of the littleness at the back of brave shows for a fortnight now he had sketched and sketched and splashed about with colour just as an excuse for staying on in the desire to make love to ingeborg to refresh himself for a space at this unexpectedly limpid little spring he had been attracted irritated increasingly attracted greatly exasperated greatly attracted he had grown eager determined almost anxious at last 
but these various emotions had been felt by him strictly on his doorstep she was merely a substitute and at that only a temporary substitute for the caucuses then in the third week he perceived that she had left off being that she was no longer just an odd little thing an attractive delicious little thing to him of the colouring he best loved the fairness the whiteness a thing that offered up incense before him with unflagging zeal a thing full of contentments and generous ready friendship she still was all that but she was more like adam when god breathed into his nostrils the breath of life she had become a living soul and that of which she was the living soul was his work not only her soul but his had begun to get into his studies of her each successive study unveiled more of an inner beauty each fixed into form and colour qualities in her and qualities in him who apprehended them that he had not known were there it was as if he watched while his hand was held and guided sure swift touch by sure swift touch by someone else someone altogether greater some splendid master from some splendid other world who laid hold of him as one lays hold of a learner and showed him these things and said at each fresh stroke look this is what she is like the essence of her the spirit and see it is what you like too for you recognize it in that third week late one afternoon they went on the lake ingeborg paddled slowly along the middle of the quiet water towards the sunset and ingram sat at the other end with his back to it and watched her becoming more and more transfigured as the sun got lower very early in their acquaintance he had conveyed to her that she ought always to wear white and that hats were foolish and unnecessary therefore she did wear white and sat hatless in the punt the light blinded her she could see nothing of him but a dark hunch against a blaze of sky but when she wanted to turn the punt towards the relief of the shadows along the shore he instantly stopped her and told her to keep on straight into the eye of the sun but i can't see she said but i can it's for my picture it's going to be a study of light shall you be able to do it from the sketches no from you why you said you couldn't anywhere here because there wasn't a proper place there isn't i'm going to do it in venice in my studio there but can you from memory no from you she laughed how i wish i could she said i ache and ache to see things to go to italy she sighed the vision of it was unendurably beautiful well you'll have to not only because it's monstrous you shouldn't monstrous and shocking and unbelievable that you should be stuck in kokensee for years on end and never see or hear or know any of the big things of life but because you can't spoil my great picture the greatest i shall ever have done robert could never leave his work i don't want robert to leave anything it's you i'm going to paint and i can't do without you how very awkward she smiled because robert can't do without me either he plunged his arm into the water with sudden extreme violence scooped a handful of it high into the air and dashed it back again it had seemed to him obvious throughout his life that when it came to the supremest things not only did one give up everything oneself for them but other people were bound to give up everything too the world and the centuries were to be enriched he had a magnificent private faith in his position as a creator and it was the duty of those persons who were needful to the process to deliver themselves their souls and bodies up to him in what he was convinced was an entirely reasonable sacrifice if any one were necessary to his work 
even only indirectly by keeping him content while he did it so that he could produce his best it was that person's duty to come to his help a paramount duty passing the love of home or family he would do as much he was convinced for some one else who should instead of him possess the gift here had he been in a state of dissatisfaction and restlessness for years and his work though his reputation leapt along was he very well knew not what it could have been boredom had seized him a great disgust of humanity there had been harassing private complications his wife had turned tiresome refusing to understand and now he had found this this thing he thought looking at her in the kind of fury that seized him at the merest approach to any thwarting that touched his work of light and fire and cleanness this little hidden precious stone hidden for him waiting for him to come and make of her a supreme work of art and she was putting forward middle-class obstacles philistine difficulties ludicrous trivialities robert in short to the achievement of it do you realize he said leaning forward and staring at her with his strange pale eyes what it means to be painted by me my utter glorification she answered my utter pride he waved his hand impatiently it means he said and in this case it would supremely mean another one added to the great possessions of the world oh said ingeborg then after a slight holding of her breath again oh she was awestruck his voice came out of the black shadow of him at her through clenched teeth which gave it a strange awe-striking quality she felt with the sunset blinding her and that black figure in front of her and the intense clenchedness of the voice issuing from it in the presence of immensities she wondered whether it would have been any worse instantly she corrected the word it had been the merest slip of her brain to more glorious to be sitting in a punt with simultaneously shakespeare sophocles homer and the entire renaissance weak a thing though her paddle was she pressed it tightly in her arms it's a great responsibility she said lamely of course it is he said still in that clenched voice and it has to be met greatly but what have i here's this picture i feel it in me i tell you i feel it and know it going to be the crowning work of my life going to be a thing of living beauty throughout the generations going to be the portrait of a lady that draws the world to look at it during all the ages after we are dead he broke off he left off hurling the sentences at her he began to beg ingeborg he said you've cleaned me up and glorified me like the sunshine during this stay here without meaning to clean or bothering to clean a bit you've become the eyes of the universe to me and if it weren't for you now the whole thing would be an eyeless monster and a mask and a horror without you why even during the mornings here when i mayn't come to you i'm like a ship laid up in an out-of-the-way port an aeroplane without an engine a book with the first and last pages lost the mornings are like a realistic novel of gissings after a fairy tale the afternoons are like a bright vision in a crystal like a dream like one of the drops into fairyland quite common people sometimes take you're the littlest thing and you leave the most enormous blank it's extraordinary the goneness of things directly i'm away from you i did poor work before i found you poor i mean compared to what i know it might be and i'll do none at all or mere ruins if i have to work without you now work is everything to me and i'm not going to be able to do it if you're not there jeer at me if you like jeer at me for a parasite 
I've been an empty thing without you all these years. You can't let me go again. You can't let me drop back into the old angers, into the old falling short of the highest. You're the spirit of my inmost. You're my response, my reality, my glorification, my transmuter into a god. And the picture I'm going to do of you will be the portrait of a lady who gave him back his soul. Chapter 30 She stared at his black outline helplessly. She was overwhelmed. What could a respectable pastor's wife say to such a speech? It had the genuine ring. She did not believe it all. Not, that is, the portions of it which that back part of her mind, the part that leapt about with disconcerting agility of irrelevant questioning when it was most oughtn't to, called the decorations. For how could anyone like Ingram really think those wonderful things of anyone like her? But she no longer suspected him of making fun. He meant some of it. What was underneath it, he meant, she felt. She was scared, and at the same time caught up into rapture. Was it possible that, at last, she was wanted? At last she could help someone? He wanted her, he, Ingram, of all people in the world. And only a few weeks ago she had been going about Kokensee so completely unwanted that if a dog wagged its tail at her she had been glad. It... It's a great responsibility, she murmured a second time, while her face was transfigured with more than just the sunset. It was, for there was Robert. Robert, she felt, even at this moment in the uplifted state when everything seems easy and possible, would not understand. Robert had no need of her himself, but he would not let her go for all that to Venice. Robert had altogether not grasped Ingram's importance in the world. He could not, perhaps, be expected to, for he did not like art. Robert, she was deadly certain, would not leave his work for an hour to take her anywhere for any purpose, however high. And without him, how could she go to Venice? People didn't go to Venice with somebody who wasn't their husband. They might go there with a whole train full of indifferent persons, if they were indifferent. Directly you liked somebody, directly it became wonderful to be taken there, to be shown the way, looked after, prevented from getting lost, you didn't go. It simply, as with kissing, was a matter of liking. Society seemed based on hate. You might kiss the people you didn't want to kiss. You might go to Venice with any amount of strangers because you didn't like strangers, and in a case like this—oh, in a case like this, she suddenly cried out aloud, flinging the paddle into the punt, and twisting her hands together, overcome by the vision of the glories that were going to be missed, when it's so important, when it so tremendously matters, to be caught by convention. He had got her. The swift conviction flashed through him as he jerked his feet out of the way of the paddle, got her differently from what he had first aimed at, perhaps, still incredibly without sex consciousness, but she would come to Venice, she would come and sit to him, he was going to do his masterpiece, and the rest was inevitable. "'How do you mean?' he said, his eyes on her, to think the great pictures never going to be painted. And why? Because of convention, because of all these mad rules. She was twisting her fingers about in the way she did when much stirred. It's doomed, she said, doomed. And she looked at him with eyes full of amazement, of aggrievedness, of actually tears. Ingeborg, he began, do you know how I've longed to go just to Italy? She interrupted with just the same headlong impulsiveness that had swept her into Dent's travel bureau years before. How I've read about it and thought about it till I'm sick with longing, 
why i've looked out trains and the things i've read i know all about its treasures oh not only its treasures of art and old histories but other treasures light and colour and scent the things i know now in pale mean little visions i know all sorts of things i know there's a great rush of wisteria along the wall as you go up to the certosa covering its whole length with bunch upon bunch of flowers which certosa pavia pavia and all the open space in front of it is drenched in april with that divinest smell and i know about the little red monthly roses scrambling in and out of the campo santo above genoa in january in january red roses in january while here and i know about the fireflies in the gardens round florence that's may early may while here we still sit up against the stoves and i know about the chestnut woods real chestnuts that you eat afterwards along the steep sides of the lakes miles and miles of them with deep green moss underneath and i know about the queer black grapes that sting your tongue and fill the world with the smell of strawberries in september and what the appian way looks like in april when it is still waving flowery grass burning in an immensity of light and i know the honey colour of the houses in the old parts of rome and that the irises they sell there in the streets are like pale pink coral and all one needs to do to see these things for oneself is to catch a train at muck any day one could catch that train at muck every day it starts and one is never there and kokensee would roll back like a curtain and the world would be changed like a garment like an old stiff clayey garment like an old shroud into all that think of it what a background what a background for the painting of the greatest picture in the world she stopped and took up the paddle again i wonder she said with sudden listlessness why i say all this to you because said ingram in a low voice you're my sister and my mate she dipped the paddle into the water and turned the punt towards home oh well she said the enthusiasm gone out of her the water and the sky and the forests along the banks and the spire of the kokensee church at the end of the lake looked dark and sad going this way at first she could see nothing after the blinding light of the other direction then everything cleared into dun colour and bleakness how one talks she said i say things enthusiastic things and you say things beautiful kind things and it's all no good isn't it not only do we say them but we're going to do them you're coming with me to venice my dear haven't you read in those travel books of yours what the lagoons look like at sunset she made an impatient movement ingeborg let us reason together i can't reason well listen to me then doing it by myself and he proceeded to do it all the way down the lake he did it and up along the path through the rye and afterwards in the garden pacing up and down in the gathering twilight beneath the lime trees he did it wonderful he thought in that submerged portion of the back of his mind where imps of criticism sat and scoffed the trouble one takes at the beginning over a woman she let him talk listening quite in silence her hands clasped behind her her eyes observing every incident of the pale summer path the broken twigs scattered on it some withered sweet peas she had worn that afternoon a column of ants over which she stepped carefully each time till the stars came out and the owls appeared he eagerly reasoned he talked of the folly of conventions of the ridiculous way people deliberately chain themselves up padlock themselves to every bogey of a theory of right and wrong are so deeply in their souls improper 
that they dare not lose their chain one inch or unlock themselves an instant to go on the simplest of adventures such people he explained were in their essence profoundly and incurably immoral they needed the straight waistcoat and padded room of principles their only hope lay in chains with them he said sane human beings such as you and i have nothing to do but what about the others the free spirits increasing daily in number the fundamentally fine and clean who wanted no safeguards and were engaged in demonstrating continually to the world that two friends man and woman could very well say travel together be away seeing beautiful things together with the simplicity of children or of a brother and sister and return safe after the longest absence with not a memory between them that they need regret why there were he instant names well-known ones of people who he said had gone and come back openly frankly determined demonstrators for the public good of the natural and then there were he instanced more names names of people even ingeborg had heard of and finding this unexpectedly impressive he went on inventing with a growing recklessness taking any people well known enough to have been heard of by ingeborg and sending them to venice in twos in haphazard juxtapositions that presently began to amuse him tremendously no doubt they had gone or would go sooner or later he thought greatly tickled by the vision of some of his couples there was lilienkopf you know the african millionaire he went to venice with lady missenden he flung back his head and laughed the thought of lilienkopf and lady missenden they too came back without a regret he said and laughed and laughed she watched him gravely she knew neither lilienkopf nor lady missenden and was not in the mood for laughter even bishops go said ingram they go for walking tours but not to venice no to shrines why cathedral cities are honeycombed with secret pilgrims but why secret you said well careful pilgrims pilgrims who make careful departures one has to depart carefully you know not because of oneself but because of offending those who are not imbued with the pilgrim spirit for instance robert oh robert i see his face if i suggested he should let me be a pilgrim but of course you mustn't suggest what she stood still and looked up at him just go of course it was what you did when you ran away to luzerne if you'd suggested you'd never have got there and you did that for merest fun while this he looked at her and the impishness died out of his face why this he said after a silence this is the giving back to me of my soul i need you my dear i need you as a dark room needs a lamp as a cold room needs a fire my work will be nothing without you how can it be with no light to see by it will be empty dead it will be like the sky without the star that makes it beautiful the hay without the flower that scents it the cloak one is given by god to keep out the cold and wickedness of life slipped off because there was no clasp to hold it tight over one's heart she began to warm again she had been a little cooled while he laughed by himself over lady missenden's unregretted journeyings to go to italy to go to italy at all but to go under such conditions wanted indispensable to the creation of a great work of art it was the most amazing cluster of joys surely that had ever been offered to woman how long would i have to be away she asked how long is the shortest time one wants for a picture he airily told her a month would be enough and on her exclaiming immediately reduced it to a week 
but getting there and coming back well say ten days he said surely you could get away for ten days to do he added looking at her some long delayed shopping in berlin but i don't want to shop oh ingeborg you're relapsing into your choir boy condition again of course you don't want to shop of course you don't want to go to berlin but it's what you'll say to robert oh she said but isn't that wouldn't that be rather why can't you be as simple as when you went to luzerne you wanted to go so you went and you were leaving your father who tremendously needed you you were his right hand here you're nobody's right hand i'm not asking you to do anything that would hurt robert all you've got to do is to arrange so that he knows nothing beyond berlin surely after these years he can let you go away for ten days she walked with him in silence down the lilac path as far as the gate into the yard she was exalted but her exaltation was shot with doubt what he said sounded so entirely right so obviously right she had no reasoning to put up against it she longed intolerably to go she was quite certain it was a high and beautiful thing to go and yet herr dremmel's laboratory windows were open for the evening was heavy and quiet and they could see him in the lamplight with disregarded moths fluttering round his head bent over his work good-night ingram called in at the window with the peculiar cordial voice reserved for husbands but herr dremmel was too much engrossed to hear towards two o'clock there was a thunderstorm and sheets of rain and when ingeborg got up next morning it was to find the summer gone the house was cold and dark and mournful and it was raining steadily looking out of the front door at the yard that had been so bright and dusty for five weeks she thought she had never seen such a sudden desolation the rain rained on the ivy with a drawn-out dull dripping the pig standing solitary in the mud was the wettest pig the puddles were all over little buttons made of raindrops invariably after the thunderstorm the weather broke up for days sometimes for weeks what would she and ingram do now she thought what in the world would they do now shut up in the dark little parlour he unable to work and no walks and no punting why he'd go of course and the wonder time was at an end a week of this said herr dremmel coming out of his laboratory to stand on the doorstep and rub his hands in satisfaction a week of this will save the situation which situation robert she asked her mind as confused and dull as the untidy grey sky he looked at her oh yes she said hastily of course the experiment feels yes i suppose this is what they've been wanting all through that heavenly weather it was a weather said herr dremmel that had nothing to do with heaven and everything to do with hell devils no doubt might grow in it wax fat and big and heavy-eared devils used to drought but certainly not the kindly fruits of the earth and for an instant he gave his mind to reflection on how great might be the barrier created between two people living together by a different taste in weather ingram arrived at two o'clock in a state of extreme irritation he splashed through the farmyard with the collar of his coat turned up and angrily holding an umbrella in his wet weather mood it seemed to him entirely absurd and unworthy to be wading through an east prussian farmyard mess in pouring rain beneath an umbrella in order to sit with a woman he wanted to be at work he was obsessed by his picture he was in the fever to begin that seizes the artist after idleness the fever to get away to be off back to the real concern of life the fierce fever of creation he had not yet had to come into the house on his 
daily visits and when he got into the passage he was immediately and deeply offended by the smell that met him of what an hour before had been a german dinner the smell came out as it were weighty with welcome it advanced en blanc it was massive deep enveloping the front door stood open but nothing but great space of time could rid the house in the afternoons of that peculiar and all-pervading smell he was shocked to think his white and golden one his little image of living ivory and living gold must needs on a day like this be swathed about in such fumes must sit in them and breathe them and that his communings with her were going to be conducted through a heavy curtain of what seemed to be different varieties of cabbage and all of them malignant the narrow gloom of the house its unpiercedness on that north side by any but the coldest light its abrupt ending almost at once in the kitchen and servant part struck him as incredibly preposterously sordid what a place to put a woman in what a place having put her in it to neglect her in the thought of herr dremmel's neglects those neglects that had made his own stay possible and pleasant infuriated him how dare he thought ingram angrily wiping his boots herr dremmel kokensee everything connected with the place except ingeborg seemed in his changed mood ignoble he forgot the weeks of sunshine there had been the large afternoons in the garden and forest and rye fields the floating on great stretches of calm water and just hated everything kokensee was god-forsaken distant alien ugly dirty dripping evil-smelling ingeborg herself when she came running out of the parlour to him into the concentrated cabbage of the corridor seemed less shining drabber than before and so unfortunately active was his imagination so quick to riot that almost he could fancy for one dreadful instant as he looked at her that there was cabbage in her very hair ingeborg he said the moment he was in the parlour i can't stand this i can't endure this sort of thing you know he rubbed both his hands through his hair and gnawed at a finger and fixed his eyes on hers in a kind of angry reproach i was afraid you wouldn't like it she said apologetically feeling somehow as though the weather were her fault like it and i can't idle here any more you can't expect me to hang on here any more oh but i never expected she interrupted hastily surprised and distressed that she should have produced any such impression well it comes to the same thing you're making difficulties about coming away you're wanting such a lot of persuading he stopped in his quick pacing of the little room and stared at her why you're giving me trouble he said in a voice of high astonishment and she stood looking at him with her lips fallen apart her eyes full of a new and anxious questioning he began to pace about again across and round and up and down the unworthy little room god he said swiftly pacing how i do hate miciousness and indeed it seemed to him wholly amazingly monstrous that his great new work should be being held up a day by any scruples of any sort whatever this grey headache of a sky he said jerking himself for a moment to the window this mud this muggy chilliness but she began the days here are lines just length without breadth or thickness or any substance but surely till to-day i feel in a sort of well in this place out of sight of faith and kindliness you shutting them out he turned on her you deliberately shutting them out putting the lid on the glory of light and life being an extinguisher for the sake of nothing and nobody at all 
just for the sake of a phantom of an idea about Robert. But surely, she said, I am bored and bored here. This morning was a frightful thing. I daren't in this state even make a sketch of you. I'd spoil it. It'll rain forever. I can't stay in this room. I'd begin to rave. But of course you can't stay in it. Of course you must go. Go. When I can't work without you? When you're so everything to me that during the hours I'm away from you, little things you've said and done float in my mind like little shining phosphorescent things in a dark cold sea. And I creep into warm little thoughts of you like some creature that shivers and gets back into its nest. I told you I was a parasite. I told you I depend on you. I told you you make me exist for myself. How can you let me beg? How can you let me beg? They stood facing each other in the middle of the room, his light eyes blazing down into hers. You, you're sure I'd be back in ten days, she said, and he had the presence of mind not to catch her to his heart. Chapter 31 From the moment she said she would go, Ingram was a changed creature. He became brisk, business-like, cheerful. Not a trace was left of the exasperated wet man who had come round through the rain, and there was no more poetic images. He was reassuringly like a pleased elder brother, a brother all alert contentment, the table was cleared by his swift hands of the litter of her English studies, and the map out of the Reichskirbuch spread on it, and with the help of an old Baedeker his sharp eyes had noticed lurking in a corner he expounded to her what she was to do. He wrote down her train from Meuk to Allenstein, and her train from Allenstein to Berlin. He told her where she was to stay the night in Berlin, a city he appeared to know intimately, and he made a drawing in pencil of the streets that led to it from the station. The dotted line, he said, explaining his drawing, is Ingeborg's little footsteps. She was to stay at one of those refuges for timid ladies with connections in the church which are scattered about Berlin and called Chryslik hospice places where besides coffee and rolls there are prayers and a harmonium for breakfast she was to meet him next day at the onhalter station that happy jump off for the south and he would leave kokensee at once perhaps that evening and wait for her in berlin they would proceed to venice intermittently getting out of the train at various points in order to see certain things. There was a walk he wanted to take her across the hills of Lake Maggiore, for instance. "'But I've only ten days,' she reminded him. "'Oh, you'll see. One can do a lot.' And there was Bergamo he wanted to show her. She would, he assured her, greatly love Bergamo, and certainly they would go to Pavia, if only to see if the wisteria were still in flower. Her eyes danced, the sight of the map and the time-table was enough. She hung over him eagerly, following his pointing finger as it moved over mountains and lakes. She was like a schoolboy watching the planning out of his first trip abroad. There was no room in her for any thoughts but thoughts of glee. The names were music to her. Locarno, Canobio, Luino, Varesi, Bogamo, Brescia, Venice. She lost sight of the higher aspect of the adventure, the picture, her position as indispensable assistant in the production of a great work. Her brain was buzzing with just the idea of trains and places and new countries and utter fun. After the years of inaction in Kokensee, just to go in a train to Berlin would have been tremendous enough to set her blood pulsing, and here she was going on, farther and farther, into more and more light. 
more and more colour and heat and splendour and all new things till actually at last she would reach it the heart of the world and be in italy oh she murmured but it's too good to be true and the rigi which up to then had been the high water mark of her experience collapsed into a little lump of pale indifferent mould when the tea began to bump against the door and she went out to help the servant ingram put every sign of intending travel neatly away and by the time herr dremmel joined them there was no hint of anything anywhere in the room but sobriety except in ingeborg's eyes they danced and danced she longed to jump up and fling her arms round robert's neck and tell him she was off to italy she wanted him to share her joy to know how happy she was she felt all lit up and bright inside while ingram on the contrary looked forbiddingly solemn he presently began to make solemn comments on the change in the weather and after hearing herr drummle's view and sympathizing with his gratification said that as regarded himself it put an end to his work of preparation for the painting of frau dremmel's portrait and therefore he was leaving the next morning and would take the opportunity when herr dremmel presently retired to his laboratory of making his farewells herr dremmel expressed polite regrets ingram politely thanked him ingeborg felt suddenly less lit up and her eyes left off dancing she wanted for some odd reason to slip her hand into robert's it grew and grew on her the desire to go and sit very close to robert if only he would come too if only he would for once take a holiday and come and see these beautiful things with her how happy they would all be it seemed a forlorn thing to leave him there alone in the rain while she went jaunting off to italy well but he wouldn't come he liked rain and he wouldn't let her go either if she were frankly to ask him the example of lady missenden or of any of those well-known persons would not she knew move him nor would anything she could say on the shameful absurdity of supposing evil liberal though he was and large as were his scoffings at convention he was not as liberal and large she felt sure as ingram and she suspected that the conventions he scoffed at were those which did not touch himself she could not risk asking she must go she must must go yet she got up impulsively and on the pretext of taking his cup from him went to him and put her hand with a little stroking movement on his hair herr dremmel did not observe it but ingram did and after tea and until he left that evening not to see her again till they met at the anhalter station in berlin he was amazingly natural and ordinary and cheery more exactly like a brother than any brother had ever been seen or imagined of course he said quite at the last turning back from the doorstep before finally committing himself to the liquid masses of the dissolved farmyard of course i can depend on you she laughed she stood on the top step with the light of the lamp in the passage behind her a little torch of resolution and adventure and imagination well let loose i'm going to italy she said flinging out both her arms as though she would put them round that land of dreams and so complex is man and so simple in his complexity that ingram went away in the wet twilight quite sincerely offering thanks to god but when it came to the moment of telling robert about berlin and shopping her heart beat very uncomfortably it was at tea-time the next afternoon 
all day she had been trying to do it but her tongue refused at breakfast she tried and at dinner she tried and in between she went twice to the laboratory door and stood on the mat and instead of going in went away again on the carefullest toe-tips and there was ingram getting to berlin got to berlin kicking his heels there waiting at tea-time after a tempestuous walk in the wet during which as she splashed through sodden miles of sad-coloured wilderness she took her gods to witness that the thing should be done that afternoon she did finally bring it out she had meant to say with an immense naturalness that she wished to go to berlin in order to buy boots she had thought of boots as simple objects quickly bought and resembling each other not like hats or dresses which might lead later on to explanations and she needed boots she really would buy them it would she felt help her to be natural if what she said so far as it went were true but so greatly was she chagrined in her soul that she should have to talk of boots at all instead of telling him her robert her after all hind robert with delight of italy and of her discoveries in beautiful new feelings that when she had gulped and cleared her throat and gulped again and opened her mouth she found herself not talking of boots nor yet of berlin but addressing him with something of the indignant irrelevance of a suffragette who because she has been forcibly fed demands the vote he had as his custom was brought literature with him and was sitting bent over his cup with the book propped against the hot water jug it was called eliminerong de minus valentin and was apparently as all the books he brought to meals also were apparently absorbing the sound of the dripping of the rain on the ivy was unbroken at first except for the sound of herr dremmel drinking his tea and the room was so gloomy under the pall of heavy sky that almost one needed a lamp end of section thirteen